Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is supported by SafeBand. SafeBand is the indigo silicon wristband that lets people know that you, or a member of your family, has been vaccinated to protect them from COVID-19. And with every SafeBand that's ordered by you, or people like you, we donate one to a frontline key worker or vulnerable member of the community. Slowly, life will return to how it once was. Until then, we're determined to get things back to normal for those who've taken the first step. Find out more by clicking the link in the description or visiting safeband.me. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name is Phil Whelans and in this week's Stop Hammer Time we are uh, in a uh, near celebratory mood after a thrilling 3 all draw with uh, Arsenal. And uh, here to discuss that particular fixture, we have uh, well, local boy. I am local to uh, Arsenal, as is uh, Benji Lanyardo. Benji, this is our, like our local fixture. It, yeah, I don't want to talk too much about the the localism of it all, but yes, quite. Yep, yep. This is the, this is the game that we can walk to. Uh, in fact, we normally do when it's uh, when it's at the Emirates. But uh, obviously, we were at the Thunderdome for the weekend. But uh, yes, Arsenal is in fact our local team. Uh, also with me, of course, but, Jim Grant. Yeah. Good evening. How are you, Jim? I'm very well, thank you, Philip. And we're delighted to have with us uh, a friend of the podcast from almost the very beginning when we started to do it. Um, he uh, is an Australian who at the time was living in London and uh, so came onto the podcast and uh, uh, became a good friend of ours, but then returned to his native Australia. And it is there from which he is joining this podcast. It was a very late realisation to Jim and myself that we could actually, using Zoom as we are, instead of meeting people face to face like we used to do, we could actually involve people from other countries in the world not just people that we knew that lived in London. And so we've done that. And uh, he's risen very early from his native Australia to join us today. It's Jack Quigley. Hi, Jack. Hello, everybody. Hi, guys. How are you Good doing? to be back. Yeah, I'm great. Uh, looking forward to this a lot. Hmm. 
Good to have you back, Jack. Yeah, yeah, you to managed to, you've managed to avoid uh, the part of Australia which is currently underwater, um, which is uh, the environs of Sydney, I believe, isn't it? Yeah, uh, look, last year we were on fire um, yeah. and this year we're underwater. So I believe next year is the Ice Age. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what's to come after that, though. Um, of course, famously, in the 80s, the uh, ozone, the hole in the ozone layer was above Australia, wasn't it? And uh, Yeah. And the world acted very quickly. That was when they sort of banned CFCs and, uh, you know, in fridges and deodorants and stuff and uh, just, you know, it had to be done. So they just did it. And... Uh, uh, why can't why can't our leaders get round the table and sort things out like they did so quickly with things like the Clean Air Act and the hole in the ozone layer? Phil, they've sorted it. They've reversed global warming, so it's fine. Have they, uh, has that happened since lockdown, since I was in lockdown? No, that was the CFC thing they did in Australia. It's all sorted now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they have, they've sorted that out now. Yeah, yeah. But all the rest of it, all the rest of it, that's still there. So, um... Uh, Jack, I do hope you've been following West Ham's fortunes. Otherwise, this could be a long, embarrassing <laughs> podcast. Yeah, um, interested in football anymore? No. Uh, are we still in the Premier League? Is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We snuck back in. It's it's been a it's been a long story. Um, I think you were here, sort of. 2010, 2011, you were around that sort of time? Correct. Uh, I was saying to Jim just before you joined in that I've actually prepared a quiz for uh, later in the pod about uh, the club and the squad the last time that I was on the show, which would have been late 2009. Fantastic. Oh, fantastic. 2009. Wow. Wow. That's a great question. Who's the last Australian to play for West Ham? Was it Hayden Fox? Or was there? Has been Lucas Neal. Lucas yeah, Neal. Lucas Neal. Lucas Neal. Of course, legend. Yeah, yeah. He's bankrupt uh, now. Is he? Really? Why? Yeah, he filed for bankruptcy uh, a few years ago. Um, just a, a bunch of bad investments, which um, wow. yeah, it's quite sad. Yeah, he, he lives in Sydney now and coaches his son's under 12s team. But um, yeah, it's an incredible fall from grace when you consider the wages he was on at West Ham. And then I believe he took more money to go to Everton uh, when he left as well. So yeah, he's done well. well he, sort of, he sort of famously passed up the opportunity to go to Liverpool, didn't he? And then came to West Correct. Ham because we offered him more money. Uh, yeah, ironically. Yeah, we were good. really looking for some p- players to dig us out of a hole, weren't we? It was the Kirbishly Great Escape season, and that's when we got ups and Boa Morte, possibly. Maybe, yeah. Lucas Neal. Yeah. Um, Luke, Lucas Neal was, he was, he one was of, great. Yeah, he was one of those players that was almost um, more important as a captain than he was as a player. Yeah. yeah he was yeah. clearly a really, really good skipper, maybe a bit like Mark Noble to some extent. Uh, but he was a good. Yeah. He, he was a leader, and I think he and didn't he come oh, again. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe mixing this up. Was he after Rio Coca or before Rio Coca era? Because after perhaps after, after yeah. I think um, well, I think he took before. over. I think Rio Coca was the captain technically for um, the Great Escape, but I think yeah. Neil was sort of credited with actually being the leader. And then at the end of that Great Escape season, uh, Neil was given the armband for the following season. I think especially that contrast in, in going from a guy that was a pretty nothing captain in Rio Coca to someone like Lucas Neal was really quite notable. Well, yeah, he, had uh, that, he had that in-your-face kind of Aussie uh, attitude, didn't he? We, we, we really enjoyed one year at, um, Stoke. at Stoke, um, you know, when they had Rory Delap doing his super long throws and he had, it was, there was the kind of ball boy with the towel. 
and um, the towel was only for for Rory Lapp. And I remember kind of Lucas Neal bullying the uh, the ball boy into giving him the towel. The towel to, yeah. No, yeah. no, it's only for Rory Dillap. Now stop fucking about, son. Give us the fucking towel. Give us the fucking towel or I'll tell you or fucking hit your dad. Right? <laughs> and he also, because um, uh, Matty Etherington played for Stoke and we kind of went, you know, because Etherington operated on the left and Lucas Neal was our, our, our uh, right back. We sort of thought, what we really need early on in, in this game is, and then it happened. <laughs> it just you know, kicked him in the air. charged him into the advertising hall. <laughs> yes. um, Everington was completely quiet for the entire rest of the game. Yeah. Was that a yeah. one win? Sorry? Was that a one nil win? God, I can't. It was, was, a, it was. was that the Tristan? It wasn't the Tristan yeah, was, goal, was it? I was going to say, I reckon that was the Diego Tristan free kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Was that that season? Yeah, yeah. So we've had 12, 12 Australians play for us in our history. Some of them you won't recognise, but this is alphabetically. Chris and Jamie Coyne, who I assume must have been related. That was in the late 70s, early, early Probably, 80s. Yeah. Okay, um, and then... Uh, Michael Ferrante, another randomer who I can't quite remember. Hayden well, Fox, who we just mentioned. Yeah. Richard Garcia. Yeah. Steve Laurie Lazaridis, of course. Yeah. Uh, Steve Maltoni, don't remember him. Trent McLennigan, youngster, really recent. Maltoni was, was a keeper. Goalkeeper, yeah. Lucas Neal. Robbie Slater, of course. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Dylan, Dylan Tombidis. Dylan yeah, Tombidis. of course. Bless yeah. him. Yeah. That was the 12. Yeah. Good players, yeah. You you think that um, Slater, and he probably did in a way, uh, Slater and Lazaridis, like Lazaridis replaced Slater, but actually they were in the team, they were in the squad at the same time. It's just you couldn't play two pacey Australians. So um, Mm. Slater uh, was preferred at the beginning and then possibly we sold him and that's sort of what gave Lazaridis his introduction into the team. Both Who's seen as the um, best ever Australian soccer player? Is it is it Kuehl? Is it is it is it um, Tim Cahill? Yeah, I, I think uh, most people would say I think Cahill's the most decorated um, because he scored at three different World Cups. But I think it's a conversation between Kuehl and Viduka for most people, oh, yeah. um, just as as far as just talent goes. Cahill, good player though, bloody good player. Oh. Great player. You know, I can't mm. think of many teams that wouldn't want Cahill, you know, at his peak. He was great. He, and he also scored an incredible goal at the World Cup, that kind of chest and volley. volley. For 30 odd yeah. oh, amazing. Yeah, good player, good player. Anyway, we uh, we played Arsenal at the weekend. Um, um, it was a three-all, uh, it was a three-all result. Uh, it was a, you know, first off, uh, we said at, at the time, Jim, and I'm sure everyone said it was a great game for the neutral. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, it certainly was neutral. You know, and and you know, there's sort of um, some of the some of the feelings are that sort of uh, you know, in the second half, we we suddenly decided to throw the game away. Uh, we sat too deep. We didn't press them. Uh, I'd sort of take a contrary view in that I think Arsenal played better in the second half. I know it's a controversial view uh, that Arsenal played better in the second half, but uh, they did. And uh, Arteta said it was possibly the best performance, the best half of football Arsenal played uh, in the season. Well, 
it would have been hard for them to play worse than they did yes, for the first half hour. I mean, they really were wretchedly poor. They didn't put any pressure on the ball. I, 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 you know, we we had so much space to, to work in, um, and we and we played with a great tempo and having, you know, and and we did what we often haven't done this season, which is you know score when we're on top. So having got to three nil, um, it was uh, it's a bit of a sickener, isn't it, to uh, to to give that lead up. Um, and I think that that the, the sort of first own goal, the first deflected goal, really, really turned the game because they had a spell before. You know, they woke up, didn't they, before half time? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, I think if we'd have, you really feel if we'd have just gone in three nil, that yeah. that that yeah. would have been all. Right. You know, we'd have we'd have seen it out. But uh, it kind of turned the tide. It was it was it was a bad time to concede, and they they had another good chance almost straight after um, that goal as well, didn't they? Yeah, I thought it was two moments that really swung the game. First of all, that that um, own goal from Suchek is a bit of a freak. You know, uh, Lacazette just swung his leg at it. It was going yeah. wide and then it goes in. And, and I, at that moment, I was like, oh, I don't think we're going to win this game. I sort of felt like that was it. As Jim said, if we'd gone in at halftime, 3-0 up, I think we, we could have held on. And then on top of that, the, the the Antonio miss, which was a matter of inches, you know, again, that's just unlucky. He, you know, we, we know about his hamstrings. If he wasn't Mikel Antonio and he had another person's hamstrings, he would have reached that ball, but he's, he's, he's not and he didn't. And yeah. so, and so um, we, those two moments easily could have changed the entire course of the game. But as Phil said, Arsenal were, were a lot better in the second half. Yeah. Um, and actually, I've got to say, at the end of it, I was a bit relieved that we hadn't lost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Jack, what did you make of it? Well, yes. Yeah, so so I, I was talking to you the other day, Phil, and I said that, you know, things are, are a bit different. I, you know, used to live over there and watch the games. And then when I came back here, I used to stay up until 2am and watch the games. And then I used to get up at 2am and watch the games. And now I just get up and watch the replay the next day. Um, and so when I woke up to watch it, I've, I've sort of, anytime we play one of the traditional big four, you guys have talked about in the past, I'm always fearful that Moyes is going to sort of shit the bed a little bit and, and concede before the game kicks off. And then the way we started, I was like, you know, this is brilliant. Like we're going to, this is either going to be a fantastic game to watch or we're going to win it. Like uh, that's what I thought after like five minutes. Um, and then we, we scored, the, you know, the brilliant goal. And I just thought this is going to be great. And then it's almost like as soon as they scored, it's almost like we just forgot to just keep doing what we were doing that got us 3-0 up and we reverted back to the the Man United away performance a couple of weeks ago and like just hoping that maybe we could get something from the game. But I don't, I mean, I'm not sure that it's like, you know, you can't keep doing what you're doing necessarily if the other team changes what they're doing. You know, if David Moyes had the opportunity to go and give Arsenal their team talk at halftime as well as give us our team talk, then perhaps we win that game. But what happened is Arsenal came, you know, sometimes you lose the ability to be on the front foot, which we had in the first half. You know, Arteta would have felt that, Arsenal were doing what, you know, we might have felt West Ham were doing in the second half, in the first half. You know, they had the initiative almost from the first whistle. Um, and and I think it's, you know, I, sometimes I, I just don't, I, I wonder, you know, and I, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm not a football coach, so I don't know. I wonder when people sort of say, well, we just sat back and invited them on to us whether that really is happening or whether the other team is pressing you back 
so that you don't have, you know, the ability. Well, it's both. It's both, isn't it? And I think, I think Phil, you're right. It's like this wasn't just like a spontaneous combustion. This, this, this was Arsenal turning up and making the most of our nervousness. I think we really missed Ogbonna in a situation like this. His kind of yeah. experience <clears throat> and the robustness that he brings. And I guess going forward, what I mean, what I hope. I hope that the wrong conclusions aren't drawn from this game by Moyes because there's very strong evidence to say, well, this is what happens when you play, play Ben Rama instead of Cresswell. He leaves him completely exposed and the three goals come from that side. That's why you should be playing Ben Johnson in games like this, you know, which would be the wrong conclusion. The kind of, I, I think that the, the, the right conclusion from this game is we got a bit unlucky, but my God, if we start every game like that, the vast, vast majority of teams will not be able to come back from it. And that's Liverpool won a league by doing that. I'm not saying we're going to win any leagues, but it's a brilliant tactic. You do blitzkrieg for the first sort of 15, 20 minutes, try and get at least one goal, maybe two, and then you're halfway there, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's worth adding that we very, you know, we created three really, really good opportunities in the in the second half yeah. and the difference was we didn't take them you know and we you know that they uh you know they played very well and probably could have scored more than than they did but but um you know in the end that could that we, we could have scored six in that game yeah. Yeah, very yeah. very easily so at least have gone four two you know and yeah it certainly could have gone four two so um, and that would have been game over. I mean, the, the, the Antonio one against the post was 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 the you know that was the game, wasn't it? Um, and very, and as you say, I think you're right, Benji. I think it's unlucky. You know, um, just a little bit less pace on the ball across. You know, just, just yeah, you know, it's just one of those ones where you know it just doesn't go in. <laughs> I don't think it was yeah. a, a bad miss. One um, thing that made I think me if feel anything, the other worse. chance he had was a worse miss. The one where he could have just chipped it over a prone. Um, Tierney, um, you know, Tierney had blocked the first shot well from Bowen and then was just lying on the floor. And yeah. Antonio kicked the ball at him rather than him blocking it. There was also the breakaway where, uh, was it Antonio again could have squared it to, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Bowen? Uh, well, sure. and also the, the breakaway that got pulled back by Moss. Who oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Crappy, well, you, you know, know crappy the Boeing foul on Boeing. Yeah, mm. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Benji, because that, that second half performance was Moss was was appalling, absolutely appalling. You could tell he was enjoying uh, he was enjoying giving decisions against us, whether they were right or wrong is a separate matter. But he like clearly when Moyes had given him what for after he pulled the playback for that for that um, uh, for, for when Lingard was going through, he then decided I uh, I'm going to show Moyes here. And he and he was I, I maybe I'm being you know paranoid, but I felt as if he was enjoying thereafter giving decisions against us. Yeah, I mean sometimes when you see the referee kind of <laughs> sort of manipulating the narrative of the game, don't you? If a team sort of goes ahead early, you see them, you see the ref favouring the team that's, that's behind with every small decision, you know. The uh, yeah. the the Bowen one where Bowen thought he was fouled and grabbed the ball. Um, it, I I almost knew when that happened. I thought Arsenal were going to score straight away. Like it just felt yeah. like, and I, I don't think it was a foul. I think Bellman went down too easily, but it just, I don't know. You just sort of see those ones just given all the time. Uh, but like you say, Benji, I think he sort of thought, no, 
like I'm going to make an example uh, here and and point out that that's not a foul and you've handled the ball, which means Arsenal get a free kick. And, I, yeah, I just felt the way the game was going, I just knew, well, they're going to score here in a second. It was like a weird sort of psychology whereby he, when Moyes had, like, pointed out how furious rightfully he was about Moss pulling the ball back when we were going through, right? Moss almost... You could, you could sense that idea that Moss thought, right... People are going to expect me now to give West Ham some decisions because they've yeah. shown how angry they are at me. Yeah. So I'm going to do the opposite to show that I'm my own man and I'm a great ref. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Uh, talking of psychology, that sort of the kind of run chase. You know, when we when when we did what Arsenal did to us against Spurs. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we got a goal back with kind of the perfect amount of time to get two more. You go, oh, it's about another kind of 12 minutes. We're on the front foot. If we do get another two, there's not much they can do about it because we're so close to the end of the game. And, you know, like Liverpool's Istanbul comeback and some of those... Right, you know, nothing to lose thing. You can throw yeah. everything and you've got nothing to lose. Yeah. And it feels, yeah, it feels like a run chase, doesn't it? It's sort of... You you know you, what you have to do is quite clearly set out in front of you, and it's somehow it feels a three goal chase is almost easier to visualise than a two goal chase. Do you know what I mean? Because it mm. it's so daunting and needs an especially superhuman effort to do it. You sort of they go right if we get one you know, then that's the first domino in a kind of collapsing chain of dominoes that means that we could actually end up getting a result out of this, you know. Totally. I do. I, I did. I was consoling myself at the end of the game, though, by sort of, because you, you mentioned earlier, we, we live in Finsbury Park. All my mates are Gooners. This is my Arsenal and my Millwall. Um, so yeah. I was I was I was pretty gutted. Um, I know you, you, you don't mind them, Phil, but um, I consoled myself by thinking our collapse was definitely not as bad as Spurs' collapse against oh, us. Yeah. No, 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 it happened, happened in the space of like 15 minutes. It was a last-minute worldie from Lanzi. So I just kind of I, I kept, I had to keep on telling myself that on Sunday. I, I said the exact same thing, Benji. I was I was sort of, you know, I was almost happy we got the point in the end because I thought we might <laughs> lose. But I was gutted after the game. And my first thought was... Well, however bad I feel now, Spurs fans must have been crushed when we did it to them because that was petty. Game was a kind of tale of two lone players, wasn't it? It's like in yes. the first half, our lone player was our star. Uh, I thought their star throughout pretty much the entire game was the bloke they've got on loan. And I mean, you know, he's also, he's coming to the team, he's taking all the set pieces for them. <laughs> they must be, they, they're really putting all the cards, what's his name? Erdogan. Erdogan. Yeah, he's Erdogan. quality. They're really, really putting all their good. eggs in the Erdogan basket. There's like, he's absolutely their talisman now. And he's a, he's a lone player uh, in the way that, you know, Lindgaard is um, is really looking to be sort of incredibly talismanic for us too. The, the, the Alex Song was like that for us too when he first joined on loan and we were just like, the whole team went up again. We were like, let's just build the team around this guy, even if he's only here for six until, months. Until, this, that it was the, one of the best six-month stints I've ever seen from yeah. West Ham. Until he had a goal disallowed against Arsenal. Do you remember that kind of volley? Oh, second yeah, ball? yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I swear, I swear to God, that from that moment on, he just became average. Before yeah. that, he was truly world class. And then he, he was just was unbelievable sort of... for six months. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, that that Erdegaard guy really came into his own in the second half. They sort of um they used the flanks a lot more in the second half, didn't they? Yeah. Um, that started to really cause us problems, you know, especially well, particularly to... down down our left. Oh, you left. know, yeah, Crestle right. was yeah. exposed. Yeah. Chambers had a decent game, um, and he knocks a good ball in. But uh, yeah, we we he, there there was a feeling that he was you know Cresswell is has has had a fantastic season and he's really refound his mojo, but he does lack pace, and yeah. sometimes that 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 lack of pace means he doesn't get out to close the ball down quickly enough, or it just gets caught on the overlap, those kinds of things, and um, you know, uh, and occasionally your ball watches, you know, those are those those are his weaknesses. Every so often they get exposed, but I mean. He's he's contributed so much to what's been a fantastic season. It, it's, yeah. it's harsh to be too critical of him, but it, it it makes it clear. We were saying, in fact, last last week on the podcast, but weren't we about the need for an upgrade at, at left back yeah. in the transfer window? It remains an important um, area of the team. We need we need to we need to stiffen our left side. Yeah, definitely. we absolutely need a sort of foul on the left, don't we? Because we do. at the moment we've got sort of, our options are kind of converted right-footed players to play on the left. Masuaku, who is just not a defender and and an ageing Cresswell, who was brilliant in 2016, but uh, had a very bad injury and now is older and less quick. He And I think the issue is, though, is that, I mean, this is an irony, is that this was a game that after a while we could have bloody done with Ben Johnson there instead of Ben Rama. Because the thing about Bowen on the other side, he does get back and he grafts. Ben Rama is not that kind of player. He's exceptional in other areas. He's not a kind of grafting up and down winger. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so if you've got a slow guy um, at left back, who, by the way, is the number one assisting defender in the league, so he's performing brilliantly going forward. But as you say, he hasn't, he hasn't got the pace. You need to cover him a bit. And he just didn't have the cover. And the irony is, I think that they probably thought, oh, well, hold on, it's only bloody Callum Chambers on the right. He doesn't need that much cover. And Callum Chambers have one of the most uh, best attacking performances I've ever seen from him. So, mm. so it was um, a bit, bit of a freak in that regard as well. Yeah, I sort of feel like you can't you can't always have both either. You know, like you say, he's been so good, Cresswell, going forward, and to say, you know, I wish he would sort of get back and stop the crosses a bit more. Well, yeah, yeah he could probably do that, but then he, he'll have half a dozen less assists, and then we probably you know don't win as many games. So you sort of, I'm sort of okay with the amount of crosses that come in when we've got like Dawson and Og Bonner in the middle because I feel like. Yeah. They're almost like sort of James Connors. They'll just intercept anything with their face yeah. if they need to. Um, but yeah, I think O'Connor's loss has, has been huge for us. Yeah. That can be a strategy. Remember that Leicester team that won the league? They used to deliberately force people into going wide and putting in crosses because they were just like Hooth and Morgan. Where's Morgan yeah. was in the middle. Yeah. 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 That can be a strategy. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think broadly that that's the way we've you know, defensively set up this is when you have that solid block of of four, the two center halves and the two of Suchek and Rice in front of them um you know that that does that does you know deny um team space in the center and they do you know to to be you know do force them wide and we do eat up the crosses i mean i think that's that's true um what was impressive about Odegaard's performance is he just kept finding pockets of space didn't he he was always in space yeah. um and i'm sure that was the thinking behind the noble Substitution was to try and get on him a bit and and um, squeeze the space for him. 
But as I think Phil pointed out as we were watching the game, you know, Noble doesn't really have the legs to do that kind of man-marking role anymore. Um, no. Um, you know, it's essentially as if he's bringing on a kind of 2013 Mark Noble. Yeah. But that's what he's going to get, you know. And I, and I, you know, people... You know, there's been, obviously, on social media, there's been quite a lot of uh, um, criticism of the game and invo- uh, and the tactics and uh, team selection and substitutions and, and advice to Moyes. But, um, you know, I think more, I've no doubt that Noble shows a lot in training. You know, Moyes, if Moyes is a little stuck in his way or a little conservative, he's not insane. And yeah. Noble... In training, I'm sure, shows a lot. And when, you know, a training game is at a slightly slower pace, Noble probably does show a lot of qualities that makes him very tempting to pick at the weekend. It's just that the rest of the team moves a little more quickly than he does. And we have a style that's sort of predicated on breaking quickly, you know. Well, he's brought him for his leadership more than anything. You know, he's actually been played played quite a bit of late, not really in that kind of DMC position, more as a slightly kind of indulgent attacking midfielder type person. That you know, I think that he is going to become a sort of an indulgent substitution going forward. I don't. I think that it actually again maybe shows a bit of squad weakness that we need. And not, we need a kind of ratter defensive midfielder to, to to come on in that situation, as yeah. you say, Phil, to like sit on Odegaard and try and shut him down. Don't know. I, I haven't seen enough of him, but could Co- Connor Coventry be that sort of player? Or is he? I'm more not expansive? sure. I think he's more of a you know traditional West Ham academy ball playing. You know, he's he's a bit um, he's a bit like the of uh, the, uh, the guy's names. The guy went to Anderlecht. He's a, he's very like um, Cullen. Cu- uh, he's very like him. Okay. Um, I think we could do with the renter um, then. We need someone. Yeah, we need, I think like, I feel like yeah. It's got to feel like Ped, uh, Pedro Obiang sort of could have done that. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that I, yeah. We always were baffled by by Luke getting rid of Obiang and never really, in a sense, replacing him as the sort of sort of squad uh, central midfielder. Um, I've watched quite a bit of Fulham recently. I like the look of the, in that respect of Harrison Reed. I think he's he's, uh, he's a he's a sort of Steve Lomas type, put himself about player, isn't he? I quite like him. Um, he'd be. I a didn't good get signing. it. Really. I didn't get it with Reed when I first saw Reed playing for them last year, actually, and and, and a few mm-hmm. performances for Southampton. I thought he was just a bit kind of media, bit bit you know five out of ten at everything. But what he's done this year, he's one of the few players that has come up in that team has kept his place and he just rats around and he just he, he works incredibly incredible hard. engine. He, get, he really like gets Kante. around. Like yeah. Well, look look who his manager is. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But um, you know. Talking of uh, uh, of players, possible players for us, uh, Lindgaard, you know, um, while we were watching the game, it's like you, you only get players like that with a huge amount of money or a fantastic youth system. And, you know, Lingard has been at Manchester United since he was something like nine years old. You know, he was scouted as practically a toddler and uh, has been cultivated in the youth system of one of the big successful teams and is thus very good at football. But he really is kind of a cut above, isn't he? A bit like, you know, that Arsenal loan player came from Real Madrid and is clearly 
almost a big fish in a small pond. Both of them are. The the you know they really are a cut above the other players on the pitch. They're like sort of men, men amongst. It boys. gives us a huge lift uh, when he plays. So I, I think it's sort of like when you used to play like, you know, like a Wednesday night five-a-side with your mates and, like, you know, once a month one of the guys was this fellow who played at a really high level and he'd blow into town and, he'd, and oh, we've got so-and-so playing tonight and it would just give everyone a lift because, yeah. like, oh, we've got this guy and he's going to play for us tonight. And and then you're, like, you, you're almost sort of, like, disappointed the next week when he's not available and so you start <laughs> the, the game on a low. Um, that's what I sort of feel like when – I felt like that when we had Payet as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. He is he's a really, really top player in God, isn't he? But our first goal, we 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 have is a thing of beauty. I mean, mm. uh, the build up, uh spot from Antonio, you know, non in non-headless chicken mode, actually looking up and seeing a player on the edge of the box in space instead of just smashing it across the box is what's what we <laughs> normally do. Uh and then the first, the touch and the half volley finish. That's just beautiful. It's a great goal. The way he cuts the cuts across the ball and curls it into the corner. There's another goal. one who I just I, I was completely wrong about. I when I heard he was signing for West Ham, I was like, oh for fuck's sake, we're better than that. You know, I, I had written him off. And and I'd seen very little in his kind of fleeting performances for United over the last couple of years to think that he he still had it. And boy, was I wrong. The guy, he's got, I mean, he's not a pie, obviously, but I completely get the comparison in that he just seems to have that natural, very natural ability. And and he and he does something for us that, that we didn't have anyone else doing that, kind of picking it up somewhere in the middle of the field and breaking and running. And, and he's got this confidence as well, which is, you know, he's got no right to have that confidence well, that's considering right. the couple of seasons he's had. So, yeah, what, what a... What a fantastic surprise. I mean, I really, really liked Lingard, you know, when during his first spell of being Jesse Lingard, but I didn't I didn't expect him to be that fit and that on it no. right out the gate. Right out the gate. From from the referee blowing the whistle against Aston Villa, he was just at it. His two goals are great. He's everywhere, he's picking the ball up, he's he's mentally match fit as well as physically fit, you know. It was amazing, really, the amount of football he hasn't played in the last, you know, I don't know, 18 months or something should mean that he's, you know, a little rusty and, you know, takes it's, a little time to example. settle down. It's an example of a few different things that actually have gone right for us this season. And, you know, another great example is, who on earth would have thought that Craig Dawson would turn out to be such a great signing? I mean, if you'd said at the beginning of the season, this year West Ham are going to sign Craig Dawson, Jesse Lingard, and a Czech right-back you've never heard of, I would have thought, oh, for goodness sake. And actually, all three of them have been eight, nine out of ten signings. Like, really fantastic. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike 
or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. We were incredibly lucky, really, with the sort of continuity of central defenders because I think Dawson was paired with Ogbonna until Ogbonna got his injury, by which time Dawson, who again sort of hit the ground running, was established so that when the Ogbonna injury happened, Diop could come in and there's already a stabling influence in Dawson. Yeah. The sort of potentially, you know, risky Diop whose form has fluttered around a bit in the last couple of years to kind of come in. And Dawson and Diop has been good. Dion's, Diop's been good, I think. Yeah. I think it's a bit like cricket when you, you you don't want to lose two wickets. You don't want to lose both established batsmen at the same time. You know, no, you, yeah. you, you lose a wicket, it's important for the other guy to help the new guy get his eye in before he gets out too. I think centre-back pairings are exactly the same. Absolutely. You know, and they, let's not forget that Balbuena was playing well this season, you know, yeah. and can't get back in the team, you know. He's, no, he, he, he'd, he'd recovered his form as well. Yeah. Anyway, talking of, of centre-backs, the um, I, I, did you see in the week our, under 18, our, our youth team beat Norwich 5-0? 5-0, yeah. And apparently, um, is it is it Jamal Baptiste, the centre-back? Baptiste, yeah. He's the centre-back that's supposed to be yes, pretty... Yes, he's very, very, very good, yeah. Uh, I watched the goals. I was quite impressed. I thought quite a few of them looked decent. Although, I've got to say, whenever I watch youth team highlights, I can never quite tell... It's hard to contextualise how good yeah. they'd actually be. We saw with the striker, well, I can't remember his name, in the Freddy United away game. No, no, no. <laughs> it was, um, the guy who scored two goals in this game, o- I can't remember his Odebico. name. Odebico, Mipo Odebico, yeah. who was released so, so from the this- first team training to play. And, and I've got to say, I, yeah, I watched the highlights of it and he does he does look like a man playing amongst boys, to be fair. He does, he, yeah. he's, he's exceptional. He hit the post with a raft drop from 25 yards as well. But when he stepped up, it was the opposite. You know, that, yes. that, that's it's just hard to yeah. know. Actually. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I said Freddie Sears. Like, didn't he just score in like every game for the youth team, and then every yeah. game for the reserve team, and then score on his debut for us, and then just that never scored again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was interesting, wasn't it? Because I remember when we had uh, Jeremy Nicholas on the podcast. Um, uh, because when Jeremy sort of finished announcing, he kind of came and sat in seats, kind of behind the subs bench or behind the other team players that are just coming to watch the game. And he said, I could tell how good Freddie Sears was because he could always see those little ping-ponging between players' legs. He went, he'd always go, you know, oh, came off the Villa player. He'd always sort of see, he could see like with an eagle's eyes where the ball was and everything. And, um, but what what I thought about Sears was that he, um, his positional sense in a fast-moving Premier League game became very suspect. He just couldn't see the, a lot of the ball. He couldn't find well, He was space. tiny too. Yes, yeah. he, he couldn't find space to pick the ball up. You know, he didn't have that ability to uh, run into a channel, you know, point and demand that the ball be played there. He was quite often struggling to get the ball past him. Uh, and if you don't always have to run in behind to get space. I mean, Teddy Sheringham was never quick. And when he played no. for us at 40 years old, he always got the ball in space because he would almost like <clears throat> not run into space and the defender yeah. would think he was going to run into space. He'd just stay where he was and collect the ball. But that's sort of what I mean. Sort of Sears didn't seem to quite have that kind of guile to, to go and find the ball or move into places where he's going to pick it up. 
And but, you know, he, he, got, he got stuck out wide for a lot of his appearances yeah. as well, though, didn't he? It yeah. just, you know, it wasn't. Um, and he was he was not a winger. I mean, he was never really a winger. Um, I mean, as, but as he, got, he got played on the wing a lot. Yeah. As Jack said, he's a small chap as well. And at that at that stage in the Premier League, if you were relatively small, you either had to be like tough as hell, like a kind of Suarez type, or you had to be absolutely rapid and like like a Michael Owen, or you had to be an astonishing finisher like Jermaine Defoe. And unfortunately, he was none of those things. So it's hard no, to find wasn't. a place that sort of... The only, it, it's kind of the same in the Premier League these days. The only exception, I'd say, maybe is someone like... Um, Danny Ings, who who isn't sort of clearly stand out in any of those attributes, maybe maybe in the finishing, but he's, he, he, you you need to be really good at, at one thing at least as a Premier League striker. And Sears just, just didn't quite have it, did he? Well, Ings is a good finisher, isn't he? I mean, in a, in a way, like like Hartson um, and Viduka, you know, is a good finisher. You know, you sort of know that nine out of ten. Times they'll probably put the ball in the net if they're if they've got the space if they've got time to turn it'll end up nestling in the net you know that's what yeah. well, the, the amount of goals you see scored that are just from shots that get a striker gets a shot away quickly and it's on target you don't always have to ping it in the top corner to beat the goalkeeper yeah. if you can just get your the ball headed towards the goal before the keeper gets a chance to get set. Like a city score like that all the time, just because guys like Foden just get it out from under their feet and point poke it towards the goal in like a split second. That's, uh, one so of that's the, all you need. It's one of the striking things about Lingard, isn't it? Is that his shots are always on target. It always makes the it's it's either going to go in or the keeper's got to save it. Yeah. Uh, also, he very he, rarely misses the target. That's why mm. it's on target and hard. The, the yeah. Villa goalkeeper gets his hand to, I think, both of Lingard's shots, but they're just mm. hit really hard straight at the goal, you know? You see yeah. Mason Greenwood. Really Dean right? Ashton was like that. I, very, I rarely yes. remember Dean Ashton shooting wide. He would just yeah. get a shot away. And like you say, the kid would either have to block it or it would just be in. Yeah, yeah. It's funny It's funny how after all these years, it turns out, to be a good striker, you need to kick the ball really hard and on target. <laughs> <laughs> Julian Dix never hits the side netting. He's Julian Dix never places it brilliantly to either the left or right of the goalkeeper out of the goalkeeper's grasp. Sometimes it appears that it just goes through the goalkeeper like Patrick Swayze in Ghost. You know, it's like <laughs> just hits so fucking hard that the goalkeeper can't actually move his hand the sort of yeah. 16 inches that's required to stop it, you know. And also, as Jack said, like with with Phil Foden and with with Mason Greenwood at United as well, they've got they've got this thing about them where they don't kick the ball when you expect them to. So so you so they're running. You know, there's when a, f- a footballer is running, there's a kind of cadence to the way their legs are moving that you can kind of predict when the shot's coming. And what yeah. what what Greenwood and Foden do, and I think Lingard's good at this as well, is they is that it's almost like there's a kind of slight syncopation, like they'll they'll do it just before you expect them to, or just yeah. after, and it just increases the chances of 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 falling the goalkeeper um, by sort of ten twenty percent. And honestly, I think both of them will make careers out of it. I mean, as well as those couple of sort of missed opportunities um, on Sunday, there were there were opportunities. Um, Sue Fowl had time to take one or possibly yeah. two touches 
completely in the open with a more or less empty goal bar the goalkeeper obviously you know no defenders in the way and decided to sort of hit it on the volley like he's Ronaldo um and another which was a real shame given that you really want Mark Noble to do well. Noble had an opportunity to shoot from outside the box, which was the sort of thing we thought was really well within his locker when he sort of broke in to the team in the early 2000s. Um, You know, we always felt he had a shot on him. And and it's so rarely been seen, that one at Everton a couple of seasons ago, which was from outside the box, you know, the sort of thing you want to see from him a lot and you don't and you didn't on Sunday it's such a shame you had the opportunity to take a shot very weird the, the other thing that consoled me after this game was that um as i said you know i i i don't like arsenal um and my everest this year is not the champions league it's not even europe i just want to finish above arsenal and yeah. and they did not gain any points on us in this in no this, in this no game. No, no, I mean, you know, the, the, um, it didn't do us too much uh, damage that, you know, to, to, for both us and Arsenal to move, you know, one point forward because those are two of the possible three teams that, you know, I think there's a real danger of them catching us because they're, they're good teams. Liverpool, Liverpool are likely to finish above us. Last yes. season, oh, yeah, sure they will. Are quite and last, last year, Arsenal beat us. So it's plus one on the Uncle Jeff coefficient as well. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, good. Um, social media was sort of awash with uh, advice for David Moyes after that game. And uh, one from, from the, the Facebook page that goes with this podcast, um, uh, Richard Maynard uh, made a useful point. If we're going to get a strong finish this year, we need to cut out the own goals. And... Um, I mean, do we do we need to cut them out? I don't, you know. <laughs> if those listening, uh, an own goal is, is like when you see, you know, when a player uh, scores a goal against a former team, his celebration is often very muted and very low key. As we <laughs> the same, yeah. And it's very much the same. <laughs> player scores a goal against his current team. Um, mm. Often the celebration is muted. He doesn't yeah. feel he doesn't feel that he's showing the supporters the respect when he scored a goal against the team he plays for. So I can see that there's an argument against uh, own goals, and that Richard may have identified something. But do we need to cut them out? Why stop there though? Like, yeah. why not just cut out all goals scored against us? Yeah, Surely that would be more beneficial. Yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. Usually problematic goal scored. Um, Sheffield United, uh, everyone's uh, everyone's second favourite team, uh, <laughs> they had a designated own goal scorer, but that, such was the enthusiasm to have goals against scored against them. You often saw, you know, arguments like between Lampard and Di Canio and between Rice and Lingard of, <laughs> no, I want to score the own goal. No, no, me. No, and that's great to see, that sort of appetite. To, to... I think it's important to spread the own goals around the team. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit concerned that Dawson is just kind of hogging, uh, like yeah. you know, if he's he like goes goal down, hanging, isn't he? You know, <laughs> uh, he needs to let some other. He even tried to get in on on Suchek's own goal. Yeah, didn't yeah. he? He tried to you know stick a leg out and and, and claim that one. So you know, if you've got a striker that can chip in with a few goals, uh, that really helps. You know, I think striker own goals should count double. They should, yeah, yeah. 
Mm. Um, it's sad that the club in the week uh, let go of our own goal coach because uh, of his <laughs> Kevin Dowie on the play payroll, working specifically on the training ground with with scoring own goals. You know, um, just when his work was starting to show like the fruits of his labour as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 that's right. It seems you know for the amount that you. You know, you're saving by by getting rid of that, those wages. You know, I don't know. It's a false economy. Yeah. I think it's if like, I started to work with Dowie, Dawson probably would have scooped that one over. Almost. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He'd have, he'd have shaped it over the bar. And VAR often doesn't help, does it? Because the player, you know, you're sort of hoping that the player's going to be in an offside position, but in fact, he's played himself on. <laughs> Uh, he hasn't kept going. <laughs> he hasn't pushed up. Um, he's the lo- he's failed to spring the offside shot because he is the last man, and uh, <laughs> he's got to got to work on that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was. Um, I think. Um, I think it was totally, you know, the total football style of football that began in Germany in the 1930s and it was the Hungarians in the 50s and the Dutch in the 70s. That was very much a tenet of total football was don't kick the ball in your own net. No, well, I'd go the opposite. I think, like, playing conventionally and only trying to score at one end, that's, like, half football. That's, oh, I think total football would be just yeah. both goals are in play. Yeah, um, total, you know, total football is about scoring all the goals, and that way you're <laughs> right. you're in control. And you're so, in actually, control of what the eventual score is, we Take almost achieved. We, we almost achieved Nirvana on Sunday then, because yeah. Yeah, we almost it. had a three-all draw against ourselves. Very disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Very disappointed that Diop didn't get his head to that before Lacazette. To be honest. The only, the only way that I think Dawson could be happened, a three-all, a three-all draw, <laughs> and that someone who put a bet on one literally bankrupted a betting organisation. It would be so West Ham to score six goals in a game and not win it. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, it was. Yeah, we. You know, two of Arsenal's goals were scored by us, and. Uh, Neither of them was headed goalwards. I mean, it, you know, it was, you know, there was a lot of sort of self-flagellation after the game amongst the fans. But I mean, it was, it was unlucky as well as, you know, there was. Was it was Antonio's header that came off Suchek going in? No. So, I don't think you know, that sort of that balances it out a little bit, I, I yeah, sort of think. Yeah, that touch. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that touch to go in. No, I don't think it was. Well, you know, I mean, it sort of, you hope that it's not... Um, Sometimes those, you know, results like that are very kind of symbolic in a season, aren't they? I think, um, you know, actually our, our result against Spurs was possibly responsible for a start of, you know... Oh, I w- yeah, it was hugely significant, I think. It was a real yeah. turning point. I think it's possibly not so for us because we know we played well in it and we also know that they stepped up very well. We also know that two of the goals were own goals. So I would hope that after the international break, we, we you know... We can come back, sort of all guns firing, you know. Yeah, it's not timing for the international break. The one thing I would say is that I think it's good for Declan Rice. Who I think he's increasingly talismanic for us. We'll go mm. off to England and get it out of his hair a little bit and be able to come back a bit, sort of having been distracted in the interim. Um, yeah. I saw an interview with him, by the way, um, recently, and my goodness, he is a confident young man, isn't he? Yeah, I, I good. Think 
he is, I mean, he's just so impressive. And he's just, he's, he's, it's very, we are very, very fortunate that I, I've always thought that, that um, people underestimate the power of a good captain. And we've had a great one for a decade in Noble. I think it's easy to underestimate how lucky we've been that there's, here's this very obvious heir apparent coming along now and actually hopefully making him captain and club captain as of you know two seasons time will will make make it more likely that he sticks around but he's just such an impressive guy and we saw in this game you know a lot of people still think of him as a kind of like defensive midfielder tackle merchant like he's got that but he's also got it in him to to make those kind of runs that we saw in the yeah. second half that almost could have been something spectacular and yeah, actually he's very very similar to the one he did at Leicester earlier in the season yeah. wasn't it just kind of suddenly leave everyone in your way and statistically final ball at the end of those runs that's a slight problem that's yes. the one area he can improve on in his game i think but he'll develop that and yeah. statistically yeah, yeah. he has completed more um, a higher percentage of dribbles attempted than any other midfielder in the Premier League. So, like when he when he goes on a run, he goes on a run. And yeah. as you say, Phil, if he just adds on the, either the final ball or the final shot at the end of that, my goodness, we've got a play on our hands. And I don't think it's a problem because it's 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 really. I mean, obviously, I think there is a sort of when when. When you reach the end of one of those runs, obviously you're now in a high-pressure situation because the last thing you do with the ball suddenly becomes very important. But I think um, the quality and range of his passing in the middle of the park shows that he has the ability to make a good final ball. He knows the weight of a pass. He knows, you know, uh, where it's said it's just that, you know... At the moment, I think the red mist just descends a little bit when he completes one of those sort of. He, runs. And he's twenty-two. He's twenty-two. Yeah, like absolutely. what that passing that you're talking about, Phil, you're bang on, and and the ability to carry the ball from midfield. He didn't have either of those things a season ago, a season and a half ago. So yeah. he's developing an incredible, incredible clip. It's it's great to watch. What he had when he came in as a central defender, and Moyes introduced him as a central defender, was he read the game like a kind of 35-year-old. Yeah. He read the game yeah. like he was Neil Rudder. It's unbelievable. Igor Stimmer. The amount of times he just gets a foot in yeah. and just deflects a pass and it just completely breaks up an attack. But, and, but not only that, but he, if he manages to control the ball when he intercepts it, his first ball generally launches an attack. Yeah, uh, I think good. he yeah. sort of said in the past, he, he watched a lot of uh, Patrick Vieira and that's why mm. his first thought when he gets the ball is to go forward. Yeah. Because that's what Vieira did. Is If Vieira got the ball, well, well, he just started running at defenders and that terrified them because he was a, this giant man yeah. uh, who was either running at you and then he'd lay the ball off to Thierry Henry or Robert Perez or something like that. And Rice is sort of in the same mould. He goes forward yeah. and thinks, well, then I'll just give it to Jesse Lingard. Yeah, he's growing. He's physically bigger than he was last year as well, Declan Rice. He's got yeah, everything yeah. about him. His chest, his quads, his glutes. Like he's he's, a, he's becoming a big boy, which is kind of perfect. And he's very good at sort of protecting the ball in a way that sort of it's not, that's not necessarily a thing to do with kind of size or strength. Arnautovic was incredibly good at protecting the ball, um, but he was also a big unit. But Joe Cole was very good at, Joe Cole could have three massive players on him and still come out with the ball, you know, because they just know how to shield it. And Rice has got the very, Rice is very good at protecting the ball and then passing it a couple of yards to sort of someone, you know, in close proximity. Yeah. Yeah, I think that international break will be good. Yeah, absolutely. Sort of get get that out of his system. Great for Lingard as well, you know. Um, 
you know, he's got to he's got to play Lingard. I think sort of um, you know South Southgate, San Marino. South, yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's got to play in that. Yeah. Um, All right. Um, who who wants a, a brief quiz? Do we, yeah. You want a quiz? All right. I've uh, I've prepared one from uh, a blast from the past to celebrate uh, being on the show again. This is the last time uh, that I was on Stop Hammer Time. So uh, this was, uh, I, I couldn't remember the exact day we did the show, but I can remember the last game I went to and then we did a show after that. And that was uh, the 28th of November, 2009. So we're going back 12, 11 and a half years. Uh, so let's uh, test your memories, okay? Uh, start off. Who was our manager? Zola. Correct. Yeah. One for Phil. Uh, club captain. Lucas Neal. Um, uh, Upson. Yeah. Uh, incorrect. Any other takers? Not Neil, not Neil or not Upson. Not Neil, not Upson. Nolan? No, too early. Wasn't too Nolan. Early. He also won Hammer of the Year that, this season. Oh, well, but... Oh. Not Scott Parker. Not Parker. Well, this is where it's controversial because I didn't think Scott Parker was ever our captain, but according uh, to Wikipedia, he was. But I always thought like Parker was always called the captain because he was like our best player. Well, yeah, because he was the one who captained the team in reality. Yeah, because wasn't Upson the captain? Yeah. Am yeah, I right? Well, okay, so that's what I thought. And then I did my research and they said Parker was the captain. I, I thought it was, I thought it was Yeah. Right. Um, we've got top scorer that season. Cole. Cole. Was indeed Carlton Cole. Uh, Ten goals, uh, all in the league. Second top scorer. Oh, God. Collison. Boa Morte. No, oh, not no. bad shout. Uh, it was, uh, he was an Italian. Uh, oh, Diamante. It's Alessandro Diamante with eight goals in all competitions. Yeah. Uh, where do we finish in the league that year? Ninth. Tenth. Significantly lower than that, I can tell you. So this is oh, the 9 10 thing. His second one. 9 10. Right, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Because we were ninth in. Oh, because he finishes off. He finishes off the Kerberschley season 8-9, doesn't he? Correct. In fact, yeah. Zola yeah. manages the majority of that season because Kerberschley leaves quite early on. Right, early on, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that was a nice oh, yeah. yeah, no, you're right. It was a shitty finish, wasn't it? Horrible season. Bloody 15th. hell. 15th. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, lower still, Phil. It was actually, uh, sorry, Jim, uh, 17th, actually. We had- 17th. Yeah, do you remember we had that big win over Wigan with a couple of games to go? Yeah, um, save that. that well, that we were was, only well, that safe was, with a game or so to go. That Parker um, fist pumping was that part of the Scott Parker goal? It was, yeah, where he sort of carried yeah. it from midfield yeah. and just sort of sliced. It did a bit of a kind of Stuart Pierce thing towards the. Correct. Know, it was a, a the bit blood iconic. vessel fist pumping celebration. Uh, all right, so uh, I'm going to do a guest the lineup. From a game that season, from uh, right. this was Burnley at home. It was a, a five-three win in which we were five 0 up at one point. Yeah, and um, would have lost it six-five if the game had gone on for another ten minutes. Yeah, and Burnley were down to ten men as well. Um, yeah. You know, which uh, we've joked in the past. Managers always say it's tough playing against ten men, and <laughs> Phil, yeah. you always say I, I suspect it may actually be slightly easier. 
Um, so uh, in goal for us that day? Green. It was indeed Robert, Robert Green. Green. Uh, yeah. we're, we're just going with a, a straight up 4-4-2. Uh, right back? Right back. Lucas Neal? Neal. Not Lucas Neal. No. Lars Jakobsen? Neil had, Neil had gone to Everton this season. Yeah. Uh, was that the Jakobsen season or was it the following season? I think that was the following season. Was the yeah. season. It, it's, a, it's a player who actually played quite a bit for us. Uh, not always at right back, though. Um, oh, not... Um, 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 they, sang, um, they sang a what? song about him. You know... Oh, um, the big guy. Um, Guy Demel, Guy Demel. No, no, too early. Yeah, too early. Wasn't Winston Reid by any chance? Was it? It wasn't Winston Reid. That's a, not a bad shout, though. Tompkins? Uh, not Tompkins. No. Who Do you want that? I would give you his nationality, but it would just give it away straight away. I think. Ah, oh, right. Okay. Uh, you want his Pansil? shirt number? John Pansil. Pansil. Wasn't Pansil. Do you want? Do you want his, his shirt number? Yeah, go uh, on. He wore number 18. Not Kovac. It wasn't Kovac. No. Morte wore 18. No, he wore 13. He wouldn't have played right there. Yeah. Go on, put us out of misery. Right, uh, Jonathan Spector. Oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Centre back yeah. pairing. This is super tough. One of them you'll remember very fondly. One of them I don't think you'll remember at all. Da Costa. Oh my goodness, that's not that's the one I thought you wouldn't remember at all. Manuel Da Costa was one of them. Yeah. Um, and then is it uh, Tompkins? Tompkins. Yeah, around that, just before Tompkins' time. Ooh. Was it? Is it? And no, he was an excellent centre back for us. Injuries right. sort of hurt his career. Reed, not Reed. Before Reed, Anton's not still there, is he? Uh, no, but very close. Gabidon, Gabidon. correct. Danny Gabidon was the other oh. centre back, right at the end of his time with us, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And left back that day, McCartney. Not McCartney. Uh, he was a player. I get, he didn't play for us for too long, but he, was, he had one great season. Elunga. Harita Ilonga, correct. Yeah. Uh, in midfield, one of them uh, you said earlier, Benji, so I'll give you one of the central midfielders was Radislav Kovac. Um, friend uh, of the show, of course, Radislav Kovac. Scott Parker. Scott Parker would play alongside him in, in midfield as well. Uh, the wingers... I can say another one because he scored a pen. Jimenez was in midfield. Oh, right. That was another question for me later. Jimenez came off the bench and scored a penalty. I scored a pen. Uh, right. Yeah. That's an excellent recall. Um, yeah, so you've got you've got two two more midfielders to name. Right, right. Etherington is he still there? No, Noble Etherington. I think he might have just gone that maybe the season before. Did Noble play? Noble did not. Berami. Not Berami. See, I would have thought Berami was around that time too. Too, well, too early for too early for Berami. Collison. It, one of them was Jack Collison. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the other one oh, yeah. scored in the game as well. He was another youth team player. Uh, um, uh, Stanislas. Junior Stanislas was uh, the other one. Uh, and our two strikers. 
Cole. Cole was Cole. one of them. Cole. Uh, and the other one, I really liked this guy, but he just, he never, he didn't hang around long. Um, yeah. Oh, one of those, someone yeah. like Franco or... Um, yeah, Guillermo like Franco. Yeah. I thought he was good. I liked him. Oh, he was, yeah, he was good. good. He was about ball. 53 when we had him. He was. He was <laughs> extremely old. But he still scored. And I feel oh, like we sort of got rid of him because he was old. But at the same time, I was I sort of thought, but he's still scoring. He's a bit like sharing him. Just keep playing him till he stops scoring. Yeah, yeah, he was good. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my follow-up question was uh, someone came off the bench to score, but uh, you already got that feeling. Jimenez. Uh, Luis yeah, yeah. Jimenez. Oh, so nice. there you go. How yeah. times change. What a strange well, yeah. that was because, you know, like – the last last season uh, where Moyes kept us up um, was one of the rare times when, you know, going to do the podcast, uh, there was a mood, you know, that we saw that was, I think we're going to go down. You know, it seemed that we were just not going to get the points to stay up. Um, that season, we had a couple of really good results after we got Denver Bar. Well, actually, I'm thinking more of this season afterwards with... Um, Grant and Grant, but <clears throat> oh, where are we going to stay up? We're going to stay up. We had some good results. We, had, we beat Liverpool. We beat Stoke. Denver Bar was transformative for us, um, but we didn't do it. Spurs that year as well, and yeah, so many things to like about that season. But we ended up just folding again and losing. You know, the last game of the season, we didn't even I put it feel on. like. It. Exactly like you say, Phil, the, the season we went down, I feel like I had more fun watching us that season than the season we stayed up. That, just that 2009-10 season was miserable. We won one away game all yeah. year, and that was Wolves away on the opening day. Yeah. Um, it was, I just remember it just being horrible. So to bring, us, to bring us full circle, I've got a question for all of you that, that I will give £100 to a charity of your choice if any of you get it right. <laughs> Okay. Who who did West Ham sign Hayden Fox from? Who did we sign him from? Oh goodness! Uh, names of Australian football. Oh no! Well, was it was it was it not an English club? It's not English or Australian. No, that's yeah. So I feel like it might be like a a Belgian club or an Austrian. Like, I think it might be. <clears throat> no, no. I was thinking. I was going to think Danish, but that was actually Winston Reid, wasn't it? We got yeah. I'll put you out of your misery. Because, it might be you know, Swiss. It was a Japanese team. We signed him from San oh, Fred. Wow. Hiroshima. Oh, we wow. Signed him from Hiroshima. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and he, he, we signed him from Hiroshima, and it's fair to say that he bombed when he came to West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harry Redknapp had so much riding on Hayden Fox, didn't he? It was like, because there was a problem with his work permit, holding up him, you know, coming and playing for us. So it was like we were waiting for the second coming or something. Harry Redknapp was just bigging this guy up, who I think sort of took a long time to sign and then might have got injured in training or something like that. So his debut took ages, came out, and you just went, he's all right. Well, it was a bit like, remember when Zola broke the club transfer record to sign Savio? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. What was that about? You know, you know, and Savio you sort of wonder, not... like, what what research were they doing? You know, yeah, I think that was just the desperation we were in at that, the time. That was in, that was in Booger's territory, the Savio signing, wasn't it? As, well, uh, well, 
the ending is similar as well. So Boogers ended up in a caravan park yeah. in the Netherlands. Savio was last seen um, kidnapping himself to extort his own family. True story. Right, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's Yeah. Fox was last seen pissing all over whatever nightclub we were in for our Christmas party, if you remember. That's right, yeah. We had a kind of, in the 90s, we had a kind of succession of big sort of centre-half signings who ended up permanently injured like Richard Hall, Richard uh, Hall. And, no, and Simon Webster. Have I told have I told you my Simon Webster story? Just very quickly. No. Sorry. Um my 10th birthday party was a West Ham birthday party. And so like it was at whether it was at Chadwell Heath or it was in like a leisure centre near up to Boston, whatever. Webster burst out of a cake. <laughs> Almost <laughs> <laughs> he, he was the guest of honor. And so I've got all these pictures of me and Simon Webster. You've never seen a more excited 10-year-old kid. And Julian Dix broke both of his legs two weeks later. And I don't think he ever played for West Ham. <laughs> so, 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 so he, he became a physiotherapist, didn't he? he? became a physio, Simon Webster. Yes, you're right, you're right. Spent yeah. so much time on the physio's bench that he pretty much picked up how to do the job without doing any courses. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely self-taught. Yeah, exactly. And then Richard Hall seemed to have like a hurty toe for his entire uh, toe, yeah, yeah. West Ham Gary career. Lineker. Gary Lineker had a metal toe, didn't he? Oh, yeah. right. And Hall looked all right for us when he played. For I that. think he was a very good player. I mean, you know, he was he was quite a big name signing. Was it from Southampton, Southampton maybe? Southampton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Right, lads. I probably, I, I'm probably going to shoot off. I'm afraid. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, well, let's. Should we do predictions and then, um, and then. So wolves next. There's wolves. We've got a long time. It's uh, the fifth of uh, April, I think. Yeah. Game. Uh, what do we think, Benji? You uh, go first since you have to split, man. I think. I think a draw. I got. It's a really important game. I think it's sort of. To some extent, it will decide. I hope. I think it could decide how we go for the next little while. But and so, uh, but I can see it being a draw. What uh, uh, what scoreline of that draw? Two, two all. We're quite scorey at the moment, aren't we? Two all. Two all. Jim. Um, no, I think we're going to go and win this. I don't think they're. I, I, you know, that they're they're living a little bit off the reputation from last season without their talismanic striker. And without um, the guy went to uh, to Liverpool, they're not as good as they they're not as potent a threat as they were. And we can we proved in that home game against them that we've got the pace to, to get at them because I think they're a bit ponderous at the back. Three uh, one West Ham, and we know about Triore, don't we? So you know we should um, sort of be able to sort of shepherd him fairly easily. Well, he always looks amazing and runs around people, but never does anything, never assists, never scores. I'm yeah. touching wood as I say that. Jim, yeah. fuck's sake, Jim. <laughs> what do you think, Jack? Uh, I, my first thought was actually going to be 2-2, uh, like Benji said, uh, but Jim's filled me with confidence, so I'll take 2-0 now and I'll just cancel out uh, Wolves' goals. I think we'll go there. I think we're just a better team. And I think if over 90 minutes, we, we should beat them. Yeah, yeah. Well, that leaves me a rather enticing 2-1 or a 4-1. <laughs> I'm going to say 4-1 to the Hammers. Correct. And to be wow. clear, ha- whatever happens, we're going to score all the fucking goals in this one. We're going to yeah, try and yeah. achieve that. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the way ahead. Yeah. Four yeah. goals. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's the way to take control of the game. Take control of the game completely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Take yeah. back control. Take back control. Goals. Take of back goals. control of goals. Yeah. 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 All right. Uh, well, this has been uh, Stop Hammer. So what time is it there, Jack? It's actually not too bad. When you and I spoke last week, we thought it was going to be much earlier. We're just terrible at working out oh. time conversion. So it's almost 9 a.m. over here. Oh, right. that's not too bad. Oh, um, that's all right. Yeah. 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 We it's thought it was going to be four, but time. Phil and I are just useless at working out international time zones. Then you have, you have a less than year old child. So you're presumably used to being up half the night anyway. I was already up. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, and this has been Stop Hammer Time. My name is Bill Whelans. With me this week have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. Benji Lanyardo. See ya. And Jack Quigley. Come See on, you guys. Guy. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.